We have been on Ephesians 5.18 for a few weeks now, uh, talking on the Holy Spirit. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to continue that theme, but we're going to be speaking about uh, the Holy Spirit and revival over the next three weeks. Uh, when it comes to revival, uh, there's sort of three main themes, the repentance, prayer, and the presence of God. And so we'll spend a week on each of those. And so today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and, uh, and revival. And before we do, let's pray. Uh, God, we... Thank you for what you've been doing in our hearts uh, through this series in the Holy Spirit. And uh, God, we just ask for uh, a greater work of your Spirit in our lives and in this church and in this community. Uh, God, we need you so much. Uh, we need your presence in deeper uh, and more powerful ways. And so, God, would you use this time uh, for that end? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, just a bit of a review. Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is not an it or simply a force. The Holy Spirit, he is a person. And uh, he is a person who is uh, a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And just as we worship and relate to the Father and have a relationship with the Father, just as we relate to and have a relationship with Jesus, we are to learn to fellowship and relate to the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are not to put the Holy Spirit on the shelf. He is not to be... You know, the person the, that we don't ever talk about, he is very important. And we need to be fellowshipping, having deep fellowship, not only with the Father and Jesus, but also with the Holy Spirit. And that's what this text uh, speaks about, having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, uh, you're adding that to your worship and your daily routine that you're thinking about, talking to, inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit into your life. Uh, the command out of our theme text is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he commands that, uh, and he's saying that to followers of Jesus, uh, that we uh, need to be filled, the idea to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We can never uh, tap out on how much the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And we know that we need more of the Spirit, because life can be hard, uh, relationships can be difficult, we can... Uh, run into emotional things and difficult things with other people and, and health things. And, we, and, and we we're trying to build the kingdom. And we, I mean, we need power in our lives. And we, we talked about that last, last week. Uh, whatever we do, we don't want to quench the, the Holy Spirit. There's these two opposites. You can either be filled with the Holy Spirit in your life and going deeper in the Holy Spirit, or you can be quenching the Holy Spirit. And once you get a taste of how good God is, and a taste of his presence, and how he begins to transform you, you get to a place where you're just like, I don't want anything in my life to hinder his work in my life. Uh, that is, I don't want anything to be quenching the spirit, and, and you begin to push those things away, and we'll be talking more about that today. Again, Dr. Uh, Sam Storm said, there are also, talking about the Holy Spirit, multiple subsequent experiences of the Spirit's activity. After conversion, the Spirit may yet come with varying degrees of intensity, wherein the Christian is overwhelmed, empowered, anointed, or in some sense, endued. This release of new power, this manifestation of the Spirit's intimate presence, is most likely to be identified with what the New Testament calls the filling of the Spirit. And so, as we walk in our Christian lives, we can have these uh, multiple encounters, empowering, these deepening uh, uh, experiences with the Holy Spirit, and those things are necessary and should be sought after. In Ezekiel, uh, there is a story that says this. 
He says, I saw, the, uh, saw water coming from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then, that is God, he's having this vision. He brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that it could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. This, in many ways, can be a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is an immense river that you can never cross. I mean, he is so good and so much power. You can never tap out all that the Holy Spirit does and, and who he is. But like a mighty river, and, and as we go through there, uh, we can choose how deep we want to be. You can go ankle deep. You can go knee deep. You can go waist, or you can dive right in. And, and some people just kind of want to dip their, their foot in the Holy Spirit, and that's all they ever want. And some people get up to their ankle, and, and that's all they ever want. But uh, the Bible, this, this text, being filled with the Spirit, says jump in. Uh, just jump into the world of the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to fill you and to touch you and to bless you and to work in you and make you more effective. Swim in the Holy Spirit. Don't be satisfied with a little bit. And as Christians, the idea behind Ephesians 5.18 be filled with the Holy Spirit, is that we should never, never stop seeking a deeper walk with the Holy Spirit. That would be just asking for more. God, more of your presence, more of your work in our lives. We see in, this is still kind of review here, uh, that the early church, if you read through the early church, we see that they uh, walked deep in the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were people who had power. And the book of Acts is not just something that was only for those days back then. I mean, uh, the Bible says God never changes. This same kind of stuff can happen today. But we see that people in the book of Acts, they, they walked with tremendous power. Uh, we shared these words last week, but here we see Paul. He said, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is a life that is supernaturally empowered by God. And this is what God wants for all of us, uh, that we would be able to walk through life, and it wouldn't just be about our own power, because sometimes we don't have much, but there would be a supernatural power about our lives because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We see amazing things would happen. In Acts 5, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And this is one of the purposes of signs and wonders throughout the Bible is because it, it knocks people into the reality that there's a God. <laughs> and many of the conversions in the Bible are the result of signs and wonders, as we see here. Again, it's the, the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own strength. It goes on, it says, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. 
a tremendous power of the Holy Spirit at work as you read through the book of Acts. And, uh, and we too are to be living in the power of the Spirit. And we talked about this last week, uh, that there should be a, a, a noticeable supernatural power in our lives. Uh, that as followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit in us, I mean, there should be some sort of noticeable amount of power that's not of us. That may show itself in different ways for different people because all of you are gifted in different ways. But there'll be something in your life that says, you know, this, this, is, this is more than just me. Because the Bible says the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit in us gives us power. Do you, do you see that power at work in your life? Is there something supernatural about your life? We see this was a test Paul used when he was coming to the Corinthian church and there were these people trying to take over. He says this, I, I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And so Paul shows up and says, I want to know if these people are really uh, full of the Spirit. One way, I, I want to see if they have power in their lives. That there should be a certain supernatural element to our lives. And this is, as Henry and Richard Blackaby say, that this really should be the normal Christian life. And often we have fallen so short of the normal Christian life that we think that not normal is normal. That we think not having power is normal. And that's not normal. The normal Christian life should be characterized by these eight things. Uh, intimate fellowship with God, joy in God's presence, a sense of peace even in trouble because Jesus said we would have trouble, a holy life, a spirit-filled life, recognizing God's voice, uh, being filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and experiencing God's power. That this is to be the normal Christian life. But I tell you, I, I want to be no, more normal. I don't know about you. <laughs> I want to be no, more normal. And this is where a revival comes in. It's this theme of a revival. Because revival, in many ways, brings people back to the normal Christian life. Uh, God's ideal uh, some people explain revival this way. Some people, there's lots of ways you can explain it, but sort of this abnormal, departed people who are not experiencing the fullness of God's power in their life. Revival is God stepping in to say, it's time to get back to what I really want in your life. It's time to get back to the normal Christian life where there's intimacy, fellowship, power, hearing God, all those wonderful things that God wants to see in our lives. And so revival brings us back to uh, this life that God wants to see in our lives. And of course, this can happen personally, but this can also happen to a church. And this is often how the word revival is used when it happens upon a whole church or a whole nation. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, who we've been quoting a little bit, one of the most famous preachers of the last hundred years, said this. The difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit, again, and a revival is simply one of the number of people affected. I would define a revival as a large number, a group of people being baptized by the Holy Spirit at the same time, or the Holy Spirit falling upon, coming upon a number of people assembled together. It can happen in a district. It can happen in a country. 
And throughout history, there have been some incredible revivals that have happened. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of them. But let me just give you a quick clip, short clip of one revival that happened. It's called the Layman's Prayer Revival. And, and we'll talk more about this next week. But every revival starts with prayer. There's never been a revival that hasn't started with praying people. And sometimes when you're getting a group to pray, you might say, well, no one's showing up. There's only one person showing up. One person's prayer can change the world. And this is what happened in the Layman's Prayer Revival. Let's, uh, let's check it out. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He'd passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had, and one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men, and they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, and when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. That's a revival. <laughs> and, and God does things like that, and He can do it again. Uh, but it starts with prayer. Um, Henry and Richard Blackaby say this, Revival is a divinely initiated work in which God's people pray, repent, uh, of their sin, it should say, and return to a Holy Spirit-filled, obedient, love relationship with God. Duncan Campbell said, revival is simply uh, a community saturated uh, with God. I mean, imagine 10,000 people coming to a prayer meeting every single day, uh, having these, these, these people actually wanting to pray. Uh, imagine having a waiting lift, list for your Sunday school. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be amazing. Hey, we need revival. <laughs> uh, we see revival lots of times in the Bible. Uh, we see uh, one theme, though, and this is our theme for today, is we see the theme of repentance. Every revival throughout the scripture, there's this theme of repentance, this desire uh, to get right with God. Uh, we see under Samuel, the, this is after the Israelites had the revival of coming out of Egypt. They're set free. They wander for 40 years. They settle in the promised land. And they get a little comfortable as sometimes we do, in their houses, in their land, in everything, in their job, and they begin to forget about God. And God had warned them about this. In Deuteronomy 8, it says, The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vine, uh, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks 
are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And, and, and sadly, this happens even in our own culture that the good gifts that God gives us actually end up uh, taking our attention away from him. And God warned them about that. And, and this is what happened. They begin to wander from God. And whenever we wander from God... Uh, we just get more stressed out, we get more anxious, uh, things just begin becoming more fresh because we move ourselves out of the blessing of God. And the Philistines came in and attacked them, they found themselves in bondage, which usually happens, we feel, you know, the chains of bondage often when we pull ourselves away from God, and, and they needed revival. There was one man, however, who understood a principle of the Lord. His name was Samuel. And the principle is this, God says, I will honor those who honor me, but those who despise me will be cursed. Not that God is sending a curse, but that you just put yourself into a cursed place when, when you pull yourself from the presence of God. Samuel had a heart for God. The, the people wandered, and uh, they got to a place where they began to see their need to return from their sin, to turn away from those things they've been holding on to and to cling on to God. And it goes on. And it said, Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the land of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and served the Lord only. On that day, they fasted there. They confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. I mean, this repentance, this turning away from those things that had taken their attention away from God and, and turning back to God sent revival throughout the land. And they, again, uh, found deliverance from the Philistines and, and victory. And this theme is found all throughout the Bible through revival. Through Asa and Josiah and Hezekiah and Ezra and Nehemiah, these revivals that are birthed out of this repentance, this turning back to God and making him number one in, in our lives. Uh, we see uh, the call in Revelation. Uh, Jesus saying, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. This is, in essence, sort of God's recipe for revival. Uh, that we would go back and do those things at first. Uh, you may just think about a time when you were uh, most empowered by God, most in love with God, most thrilled about what he is doing, he's saying, go back and do those things. And those things probably were that you were putting God first in your life. And so this call to repent and to move into presence. Uh, Alan Redpath said this, if you want revival, let me remind you that God only plants the seeds of his life in soil which has been broken up by repentance. You can look at two kinds of soil. Hard soil and cultivated tilled soil. God plants the seeds of his Holy Spirit in uh, soil that's been broken up by repentance. I mean, the Bible says uh, that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. 
If your heart is hard and you're resisting him, uh, you will never experience a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. Not God may decide to do a miracle and knock you off your donkey like you did with Paul, but, but most of the time he's waiting for us to, to, to cultivate our hearts through repentance, to soften ourselves up and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I don't want anything to keep me from you. And as soon as you just open up a crack in your life, God steps in and is amazing what he can do. Again, uh, the text, do not quench the spirit. Uh, the picture of a, of a, uh, a pinched hose we've been using where, where God wants to flow through your life. But we can pinch the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit just begins to trickle. Repentance is when we take away that kink and allow the Holy Spirit to flow. Again, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit or you can quench the Holy Spirit and to move from quenching the Holy Spirit back to the filling of the Holy Spirit means the repentance of sin. That you turn from your sin and those things that are in the way of a deep relationship with God and you move towards Him. There was a, a revival just uh, 2006 in Tennessee that was revival birthed and carried through on the theme of repentance. This was a Baptist church, for all, all you know. Uh, it was a Baptist church, and uh, it was mostly elderly people left. It was, it was kind of dying off. But the people began to get a heart for repentance and revival. And so they decided, we're going to have a series of revival meetings. And it happened on Sunday morning. They had this revival meeting, and nothing really happened. I think one person, they said, came up and confessed some sin at the end of the meeting. Then they had another meeting Sunday night. They only made it two songs in. And all of a sudden, pretty much everybody at the church, the power of God was, fell so strong that everybody in the church came forward and just began to repent of their sin. Uh, here's the way one person described it. And these meetings kept going on and on, night after night. It says, night after night, people continued to confess their sins, following the delivery of God's word and message. Complete silence would fall upon the congregation like a veil. Amazingly, in spite of so many people being present, not a sound could be heard. No rustling of papers, no movement of shifting, uh, body shifting, not even the size of people breathing, nothing. And then, breaking through the silence, you would hear footsteps, footsteps that clicked with force and determination to reach the altar, footsteps driven by purpose, footsteps driven by the hand of God, and, and people would just find themselves at the altar. Uh, Blackaby describes it this way through these services, that all manner of sin was confessed during the services. Women admitted to conceiving children out of wedlock and to having abortions. A man wept that he had been called by God into ministry at the age of 19, but he had told God no. People confessed adultery, addictions, greed, bitterness, and unforgiveness. The services lasted three to four hours each evening. People felt convicted over sins they committed decades er earlier. Individuals would suddenly find themselves at the altar without any recollection of deciding to go forward. I mean, uh, the power of God just showed up at this little Baptist church, and, uh, and it was this revival birth in, in repentance and carried through by repentance. Uh, that those things that were quenching the Spirit began to be released in confession and forgiveness, and the power of the Holy Spirit began to flow. Uh, again, uh, we've got to move from quenching the Spirit into the filling of the Spirit, and that happens through uh, repentance. Another revival that was uh, a theme around this is the Welch Revival of 1904. This is uh, one of the biggest revivals of history, and it had so many effects on other revivals. 
1904, this guy named Evan Roberts, he came back from his education, and uh, he goes to his pastor and says, I, I feel like God wants me to preach. And the pastor's a little nervous, you know how pastors are. And he said, uh, he was like, well, uh, how about after the prayer meeting tonight, you, I'll ask if anybody wants to hear you, and if they, they, anybody wants to stay, you can preach. And he's like, okay. So after the prayer meeting, he says, uh, Evan Roberts wants to preach. Does anybody want to stay? 17 young people stayed. And uh, he preached what he felt God put upon his heart. And he basically was preaching four steps, he thought, which would lead to revival. And here were his four steps. Uh, confess all known sin. Uh, put away all doubtful things and forgive everyone. Obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Publicly confess Christ as your Savior. And the first thing he says is confess sin. I mean, the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if you're in sin or not in sin. God will never leave you nor forsake you. But the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is dependent on whether you're quenching or being filled. I mean, you may be in sin here today, and God still loves you, and God may still be with you, but you will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit until you begin to give up your sin and invite him in. And so he says, confess sin, put away any doubtful thing, forgive everyone. Any person on your heart that you have a little bit of bitterness, anything that you're just like, it makes you want to go like, just forgive them. Obey promptings of the Holy Spirit, public confess Christ is your Savior. When he finished this message, all 17 of these young people were up at the front. And this is the weird thing about revival, because it can be a message, we all know those things. I mean, you read through the book of Acts, Peter's first sermon, it's kind of boring. 3,000 men <laughs> come to Jesus, but when the Holy Spirit is at work, he can take, again, what Paul said, it's not about my words, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? All 17 men were at the front, and that little uh, group of confession, prayer, and worship, it did not stop till 4.30 in the morning. And every night, it just continued. It began to grow and to grow. More people would come. More people were dedicating themselves to these four things. Uh, the newspaper caught on not, not long after. That's what the newspaper said. And uh, a remarkable religious revival is now taking place in Lockhor for some days. A young man named Evan Roberts, a native of Locker, has been causing great surprise at Moriah Chapel. The place has been besieged by dense crowds of people unable to obtain admission. The church was so full, people, there was no room for them. Such excitement has prevailed that the road on which the chapel is situated has been lined with people from end to end. His statements have had the most stirring effects upon his listeners Many who have disbelieved Christianity for years are returning to the fold of their younger days. One night so great was the enthusiasm invoked by the young revivalists that after a sermon, which lasted two hours, so I could go a long time, <laughs> the vast congregation remained praying and singing until 2.30 in the morning. Shopkeepers are closing early in order to get a place in the chapel and tin and steel workers throng the place in work clothing. I mean, just the excitement. I mean, people talked about they just could not get away from the presence of God. And they couldn't have enough of the presence of God. And uh, they were no, no worried. They just, they were coming and coming and coming, these people all over the place. Here's some of the, and this one thing with revival, is that once revival often starts in a person or a church, it often spreads. 
It can spread across the country. It can spread across the world. Often when a revival happens, people from other churches will come, and I don't know, the Holy Spirit just does a work in them, and they go back to their church, and it spreads, and this is what happened. Uh, churches all over were overflowing. Sometimes services lasted all day and all night. If people weren't like, oh, it's almost lunchtime. I got to go home. I got all these, these things. They were just like, I don't want to go anywhere. The presence of God was so heavy and strong upon these churches. People lost all sense of time and had no desire to eat or go home. True of another revival we'll talk about next week, the Asbury Revival at a college in the States in the 70s. That, I mean, it lasted for a week and people could not leave. Reporters would come to do a quick story and they couldn't go. They didn't have stain because the presence of God was so strong. A revival birthed in prayer. Uh, churches forgot their denominational distinctions and would pray and worship together. Think of that. Just actually focusing on Jesus for once. Uh, they would worship and pray. Uh, football or the soccer teams in, in uh, Wales were disbanded. Uh, people didn't want to play sports anymore. People didn't want to show up and watch. They wanted to be in churches worshiping and praying. This, this is revival. It's what the Holy Spirit can do. Uh, prayer meetings were so crowded that they had to turn people away. Imagine that. Wow. Instead of two or three. Having like, the, the, the church was so full. People wanted to pray and, and encounter the power of God. Uh, they would last eight hours. Uh, one person described this. You could not get away from the presence of God all across the country. It starts in Little Moriah Chapel, and it spreads across the country. And eventually, this revival spread uh, across the whole world. Uh, one person speaking about this revival said, The gambling and alcohol businesses lost trade. Taverns and brothels were closed. In fact, it was a record number of bankruptcies during this revival. You might say, What? It was the pubs and the brothels. A lot of them went bankrupt because people weren't going anymore. Outstanding debts were paid. Major sporting events were canceled or postponed due to lack of interest. Judges were presented with white gloves because there were no cases to try. Uh, mules in the mines had to be retrained because the coal miners no longer used profanity when giving orders. <laughs> There's yeah, stories in the coal mines of... Uh, the work slowed way down because the mules did not understand because they were used to like profanity and uh, minds are filled with hymns and, and songs and singings. There's a story of a judge who uh, they had pretty much no cases, but there was a, a case at one point where this man came in and he confessed his guilt. The judge looks at him, leads him to Jesus, and the jury responds by singing a hymn. I mean... <laughs> This is the kind of the, the presence of God that had just saturated the country. Uh, and this can happen again. Yeah. This happens all throughout history, uh, these kinds of things. Uh, here's a picture of Evan Roberts, one of his last revival meetings in 1905. It only lasted a year. And this is the weird thing about revival, that often it only lasts for a short period, some longer than others. Big question of why. Some people think it's the enemy. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's leadership. Sometimes it's people get mixed focus or whatever. Lots of reasons why revival can end. But this one lasted about a year, uh, but it spread. Uh, major Korean revival, Indonesian revival. Uh, Azusa Street revival came out of this revival uh, in, in, in California where uh, these people would, would meet together in this, this rundown building. And uh, Azusa Street, of course, has had more influence on Christianity than pretty much any other movement because pretty much one out of every 12 people on this planet, whether you're a Christian or not, 
has some heritage back to Azusa Street because Azusa Street was the birth of the Pentecostal movement, that charismatic movement, where there was a renewal back to getting back to God's word when it comes to the charismatic gifts of, of prophecy and tongues and healings. And, and that came out of this revival, and when it came and showed up at Azusa Street, and just the, the effects of thousands and millions of people. In Wales, in nine months, over 100,000 people came to Jesus. In coming years, it would be over a million around the world. This is how God can work. I mean, never underestimate what God can do through you. I mean, the clip from the Layman's Revival, this is one guy saying, I just want to pray. And, and he prays, and it just spreads across the country. Evan Roberts has felt he had a message, and he preaches it, and just spreads across the world. I mean, it is interesting what God can do through uh, revivals throughout history. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a recipe in the Bible for revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And here we see this humility and praying and turning from wicked ways and God shows up. And this is the three elements of revival. You always see repentance. It's often people get a touch of the Holy Spirit and they're like, I, I want more. I don't want anything in my life to keep me from God. And they repent. It's often birthed in prayer. And there's always a powerful, powerful presence of God in, in the room where people can't leave or people are touched or healed or changed. Uh, this is the way it works with revival. Uh, Acts chapter 5 says, The Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, if you want more revival in your life, repent of your sin and obey what God is telling you. But Galatians, on the other hand, this is the two sides of the same coin, uh, live by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The answer to our sin is not trying harder, it is living by the Spirit. And this is what happens in revival. It begins by a little bit of repentance. We, we, we break open the hardness of our hearts we till up the soil, and the Holy Spirit moves in. And we experience how good God is. And that, say, I, I want more. Amen. I don't want anything to keep me from that. And that, that just touches you in a way, you're filled with the power of the Spirit, and it causes you to want to go deeper, to want to repent more. And then you're filled more with the Spirit, and then you want to repent more, and you want to get more of the Spirit, and it just kind of begins to cycle where all of a sudden, not about me, you, but there are things in my life where I have tried so hard to get rid of. And then as I fall more in love with Jesus, they're just like, I'm not so interested in that anymore. I mean, I mean, if we want to see revival, part of this is humbling ourselves and praying, seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways and confessing our, our sin to Jesus. Again, Everett Robert's four points I think are helpful. Uh, confess all known sin. Put away all doubtful things and forgive everyone. Obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit and publicly confess Christ as your Lord. So Father, as we uh, look at revival over these next few weeks, uh, God, I pray you would help us to be more and more revival ready. Uh, God, we don't want anything in our lives to keep us from you. God, we want the fullness of your spirit. We want the fullness of the Father. We want the fullness of Jesus. God, we want a deep walk with you. Uh, God, we want to see this church change. We want to see this community change. We want to see uh, this nation change. 
God, we want to see marriages healed and relationships repaired and God's sin washed away and brokenness repaired and chains broken. And God, this takes the work of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come upon us in power. We pray that you would come upon us in strength. God, we pray that this would begin in us, this personal revival that would spread amongst us. So God, I pray that we would turn from our wicked ways. Maybe right now, if there's anything that God is saying upon your heart, you just want to confess, just confess that. Father, we receive your promise to forgive. Uh, we receive your promise that you've cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And so, Father, we just uh, confess corporately uh, for quenching the Spirit in any way. But God, we uh, confess uh, apathy. We confess, God, anything that is keeping us from you. Uh, and God, we turn from us and we repent. We invite you to work in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, we want to know you, Jesus. We want to know you to the deepest of our ability. And so, Father, would you pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.